When I was a kid growing up, um, if I wanted to go to the store and buy bananas, I would go to the store and I would buy bananas. Because there was only one kind of banana, a bunch of bananas. But now, when you go to the store, you can not only get bananas, you can get organic bananas, which costs like three times as much. You can not only get carrots, but you can get organic carrots. You can not only get chicken, but you can get organic chicken. I have never bought organic food before, except for this sermon prop, okay? So um, I really didn't know what organic meant. So I looked it up, and our United States Department of Agriculture has given us a really helpful definition. Um, by the way, Val, can you hold my bananas? Okay, so thank you. There'll be free bananas after the service. Um, so the USDA, here's how they define organic. Organic food is produced without using most conventional pesticides, fertilizers made with synthetic ingredients or sewage sludge, bioengineering or ionizing radiation. Now to me, I could probably summarize that in one word. It's natural. So organic, I guess, means that it's natural because it doesn't have this unnatural stuff in it. That's what makes organic, organic. So, in case you notice, the sermon title today is Organic Evangelism. And I don't think most people I know want to put natural in front of evangelism. Evangelism is one of those, uh, the poet Kathleen Norris calls evangelism one of those scary God words that she had to work through on her journey back to the church. Evangelism is a word that simply means to share the good news. But for some reason, it's become a big, scary word. And we would not put natural in front of it. Maybe unnatural evangelism, maybe manipulative evangelism, maybe high-pressure evangelism, maybe uncomfortable evangelism, but not natural evangelism. Well, this morning, I want to look at a way of evangelism that is truly organic. It's truly natural because it's the kind of evangelism Jesus practiced. So I want to look at what I've subtitled in this sermon, how to share Jesus the way Jesus shared Jesus with people. Because Jesus' message was about the kingdom of God breaking in. And he was the one that was going to, in the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, was breaking in the kingdom of God and ushering it in. So I want you to turn to, invite you to turn to your uh, gospel reading for this morning from the Gospel of Matthew because this is Jesus doing organic evangelism. And this is the first of the four gospels in the New Testament. And there's going to be three ways that Jesus did evangelism, the way Jesus shared Jesus with people. He saw people, he loved people, and he invited people. In some ways, it's really that simple. So what does it mean to see people? Well, look at, look at verse 9 in our Gospel reading. It says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. Now, it's a very interesting word there. The word saw. Jesus saw Matthew. It's really interesting. Sometimes you study throughout the four Gospels the number of times where it says that Jesus saw someone. Jesus saw this person. Jesus saw that person. Jesus saw this, this widow. Jesus saw this guy up in a tree named Zacchaeus. Jesus was always seeing people that nobody else wanted to see or just didn't think of seeing. 
It was surprising that he saw Matthew because Matthew was somebody that most people would want to just get right by and not see. You know how you can hear somebody without really listening to them? Well, in the same way we can see people without really seeing them. But Jesus didn't do that. He saw people. He saw people who they, who, for who they really were. And why was it surprising that he saw Matthew? Well, there's two things we know about Matthew. Number one, he's pretty successful. He's got a gig as a tax collector, which probably raked in some pretty good money. So he knows how to make money in a hostile business environment, so you've got to hand that to him. But secondly, people didn't really like him because he was not a good man. I was trying to think about what would be like a modern-day Matthew today. Well, let me give you an example from uh, Phnom Penh, Cambodia, where we went on a, a mission trip for three weeks. Um, Father Gregory Whitaker is a pastor there of an international congregation. We've sent him out from this church to pastor in Phnom Penh, Cambodia, a city of about 1.5 million people. And he took us outside the city limits to what's called the Garment District. And the Garment District is a series of row upon row upon row, about 500 in all, of huge factories with no name on it, just a plain, long, white building. Um, in those 500 factories throughout Cambodia, there are 600, about 600,000 garment workers, about 95% female. They, make, they fought to make about $128 a month, I think is the going rate. So... In some sense, it's better than nothing because it's a job, and sometimes there are no jobs, so it's better than starvation. Uh, but it's not a very good life. A lot of addictions, a lot of malnourishment, uh, a lot of issues, and not a lot of people that care about these women. So I, I was looking up who, these, who works with these factories. So companies like Gap, Puma, Adidas... Now, I'm not telling you to go out and boycott them, okay, because it's not that simple. But what I am saying is that I looked up the president, the CEO of Gap. His salary last year was $16 million. So I'm thinking $16 million versus $128 a month. And I started getting kind of angry and indignant about the CEO of Gap. But then the Lord reminded me, first of all, I don't know anything about his spending habits. Maybe he's really generous. The second thing, according to this passage, that's exactly the kind of person that Jesus would have called to follow him. A person that we would say, that's not a likely candidate to be a disciple. Some guy that makes $16 million and lets his workers make $128 a month, that's not the kind of person that would follow Jesus. And Jesus goes out of his way, he not only sees him, but he recruits him. And he tells Matthew, basically, you are exactly the kind of person I want on my inner circle, not just my outer circle. I want you to be on the inner core of my 12 disciples that I'm going to choose. That's what Jesus, that's his mission is all about that. From the very beginning, he's, his mission has been to reclaim least likely people to be his disciples. That's what Jesus' mission is all about. Let me just give you a challenge really simple challenge. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, here's a really simple prayer. Pray it once a day. Pray it at least once a week, but preferably more. Simple prayer. Jesus, help me to see people. Help me to see the people you want me to see. 
Help me to see the people that I may be missing. Maybe there's people in my family. Maybe there's people in my neighborhood. Maybe there's people I work with. Maybe there's people that serve me all day long. Maybe there's people that clean my shirts or clean up after me or do my yard or whatever, whatever ways, or cut my hair. There's people that I don't see. I see them, but I don't really see them. So Jesus, help me to see the people that you want me to see. Well, Jesus not only saw people, but he also loved people. Look at verse 10. It says, as Jesus reclined at table in the house, um, in the parallel story in another gospel, the gospel of Luke, Luke adds one little detail. He tells us that this this was Matthew's house. So Matthew, the man whom Jesus has called, is now hosting a party for his fellow tax collectors and buddies and friends and anybody that will hang out with him. So as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Now notice those words, recline. Jesus is reclining with them. They were reclining with him. It's a sense of being comfortable in each other's presence. Uh, We might use the phrase, they were hanging out or they were chilling, okay? So Jesus is chilling with these guys. And they all seem to be enjoying it. They seem to be having a good time. Um, Actually, we could summarize this passage this way. Let me summarize it this way. Jesus was chilling with the villains, making their millions, but the Pharisees, they weren't thrilling with this. Okay? I'll say that one more time because I'm sure you want to tweet that. Okay? So it's very tweetable. Okay? Jesus was chilling with the villains, making their millions. But the Pharisees weren't thrilling, okay? It's the rap version of the New Testament that's coming out. Seriously, the the Pharisees were not thrilling. Verse 11 says, when the Pharisees saw this, see, they saw something else. Jesus was seeing Matthew. They're seeing something else. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? They're villains. Why does he hang out with them? Why is he reclining with them? Why is he chilling with them? This is just not right. And Jesus responds to them twofold. First, he quotes the Bible. And secondly, he refers to common sense. He quotes the Bible in verse 13. He said, he tells the Pharisees, the religious leaders, he says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Now, we have to back up to get what Jesus is saying here because this, he's actually quoting the Old Testament prophet Hosea. But he's quoting it in a way like he knows it better than the Pharisees know it. The experts on the Old Testament. The experts on God's Word. And he says, I don't think you know what it means. Now for a young rabbi to say that was outlandish, offensive, and utterly arrogant. Unless Jesus really is who he claims to be. He is the Son of God. Yeah. I wrote the book of Hosea. I was with Hosea inspiring him when he wrote it. The Holy Spirit was inspiring it. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was at work. So I know what it means. You guys don't know what it means. Notice how many times Jesus in his ministry, he quotes the Bible. Jesus was steeped in Scripture. So he, he, in response to the Pharisees, he quotes the Bible, but then he also refers to common sense. He says, those in verse 12, he says, those who well have no need of a physician, 
Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Where's a doctor go? A doctor goes to sick people. Doctors hang around sick people. That's what they do. They're, that's the oath that they take when they become a doctor, is I will care for sick people. I will be there when they're sick. And here's another outstanding, uh, uh, just kind of an outlandish thing in this passage, unless Jesus is really who he says he is. He's basically saying, I'm the doctor for the human race. I'm the physician that all sinners need. If people come to me, I will heal them. Now, <clears throat> let me tell you a story, another story about, uh, from Phnom Penh. Um, let me tell you about two women. Uh, I didn't meet them, but I saw them, okay? Two very different women, very different uh, statuses. The first woman lives by the Black River. And the Black River is a river that's basically filled with raw sewage that runs through one of the poorest neighborhoods in Phnom Penh. And every night you drive in that neighborhood, you will see restaurants that sort of open up into an outdoor kind of foyer area where people wait to be served and to go into a restaurant. And every night you will see young women lined up sitting in plastic chairs. Looks like they're waiting to go into the restaurant. They're actually not waiting to get a meal. They're waiting to, for a client to show up. They're waiting to sell their bodies for $2.50. Because for many of them, that's the only way they can make money to survive. Okay? That's one woman. Here's another woman sitting in a coffee shop in the nicer part of Phnom Penh. Lots of hotels, lots of tourist attractions. A woman drives up in a big, huge SUV. She has a professional driver, looks like. She gets out with maybe her four-year-old son. She's very well-dressed. She's obviously Western, maybe American, maybe English, maybe European. She obviously comes from a life of privilege. She seems nice. She smiles at me. She seems decent to other people. She um, goes in and gets her coffee, comes out, smiles at me again. She obviously has wealth. Now, let me tell you, based on this passage, based on Scripture, I can tell you two things about these women. The same two things that are true about me and every person in this room. First of all, they are both made in the image and likeness of God. And they both have the same amount of human dignity and human worth. Not one more, not one less. Second thing I can tell you about them is that they were both human beings in need of a physician of the soul. Both in need of the good news of Jesus who saves people from sin. That's true for all of us as well. You know, sometimes we, like, we think religion is about dividing people into two kinds of groups. There's the good people and there's the bad people. There's the people that go to church and the people that don't. There's the religious people and the irreligious people, the enlightened and the unenlightened. Jesus has a more fundamental distinction in this passage, I think. And that is people go to Dr. Jesus or they don't go to Dr. Jesus. That's basically the distinction that Jesus is talking about in this passage. We'll either come to Jesus with our wounds 
our sickness, our unhealth, our spiritual diseases, our needs, or we won't. Christian life is people who have decided, I need Jesus as my doctor. And then I've joined this community, this whole community of people. And the thing I know about them, one thing I can know about them, they need Dr. Jesus too. And together, we are going to pursue drawing close to Dr. Jesus. That's what the church is, according to this passage. It's more than that, but that's what it is in this passage. What would it be like if we really saw ourselves that way and we really loved people that way? See, when we know how much we need Dr. Jesus, when it's not just the really good people and the bad people and I'm one of the good people and the bad people are out there, that doesn't produce love in our hearts. But when I know the only thing that makes me different is that I have a doctor and I'm going to him and he's healing me and he's making me more like him as I receive these treatments. That creates room in my heart to love people who are not following Jesus right now. So Jesus saw people, he loved people, and he also invited people. Now, I love the part in this scene where Jesus is chilling with the villains and there's no judgment and it's all and he's accepting them and he's loving them and he's just with them. But remember how this story started in verse 9. With authority as the Son of God, Jesus said, follow me. The same two words that he spoke in chapter 4 of Matthew when he called some fishermen, Peter, James, and John, he tore them away from their boats to follow him. Now Jesus, with authority, he's inviting Matthew. He's tearing him away from his life of moral corruption and social injustice, and he's calling him to follow him with authority. In some sense, as followers of Jesus, we have to do this as well. Jesus is the one who calls them, but we need to invite people to follow Jesus or to consider Jesus. Sometimes we have so much fear around this, because in our culture, about the worst thing that people can say about you is you're judgmental. That's like, oh man, you're doomed. If you're judgmental, you're doomed. And you know what? I don't want to be judgmental. I want to practice that kind of open-hearted love that Jesus had. But sometimes I can be so afraid of coming across as judgmental that now I'm just not listening to the Lord anymore. I'm not really believing that Jesus really is who He said He is, that he's, he's the Son of God. He's the Savior of the world. He's the one who came to save people from their sins. He's the doctor that people need to go to. And so I'm no longer listening to Him anymore. I'm just listening to my own heart and people around me and trying to please people and trying to move maneuver things so I don't offend anybody and that nobody gets judged. You know, about six months ago, I, I joined a, a gym, which was, um, I think, the third time in my life um, I've joined a gym and all, as like all the other times I quit after about five months um, because I wasn't using it that much but I really like this one because they're right in their mission statement on their website it says this it says that they want to provide a diverse judgment-free zone that's great 
I don't want anybody judging how I'm doing like bicep curls, you know, so, so that's great. And they said they want to provide a lasting, active lifestyle. In the end, the mission statement says, it's all about you. I thought, yeah, this is my gym. I like this gym. But you know, um, and they said I could quit any time. No problem. So I went to quit. I terminated my membership. And they said, ah, oh, yeah, okay, okay, just uh, sign this form. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, great, thanks. Okay, you can use the gym for another two weeks. And see ya. I thought, that's it? You're not going to try to, like, help me? You know, what if I said, I've decided I want to live a sedentary lifestyle, okay? I want to sit around eight hours a day, eating pizza puffs, drinking beer, watching soccer and ESPN, and, uh, said, you guys okay with that? I think they would have said, yeah, sure, to each his own. I thought, wait a minute. I thought you wanted to help me live an a, a active, lasting, active lifestyle, okay? Can there be a judgment-free zone and you challenge me a little bit, you know, with my health? I thought, can it be both? Well, in the church, church is a place where it's supposed to be both. I mean, it is, it should be, church should be a judgment-free zone. And I know many, many people that have been hurt or wounded by the church because the church was not a judgment-free zone. People didn't get the radical grace of Jesus. That's a wound on the church that sometimes we may need to just say, I'm sorry, on behalf of the church, that shouldn't have happened to you. That's not the way Jesus would have treated you. It should be a judgment-free zone. Look at Jesus reclining with the tax collectors in this passage. But then at some point, like Jesus, we have to invite people to follow Jesus. And it may be just be as simple as, hey, you know, I, I noticed you, sh you shared that, that, that need in your life, and would you mind if I just was praying for you about that? Now, they're either going to say yes or no, but you've opened up something, a conversation. Um can invite people to, hey, you know, do you think you could ever consider, I, I mean, I just want to tell you where I'm coming from and what's really helped me in my life. I mean, that's a start. Would you ever consider, like, coming to Holy Week? Would you ever consider coming to Alpha at our church? They do this really cool thing at our church, and it's, it's for people that have a lot of questions, like you. It's a perfect place for you to kind of process spiritual things. That's invitation. Now, let me just say, I said at the beginning, organic evangelism, sometimes just people get really freaked out by evangelism. People are following Christ, people who aren't. People have been manipulated, people have been the manipulator. So, let me just say a couple pastoral words about that. When I first came to Res six years ago, my life, my spiritual life was had been derailed. You don't need to know a lot of details, but it was derailed. It was in a bad place. It was like a train wreck. And when I first started coming to Res, I would come like around 11.05, just sort of slink in here, put in my time, and leave. And every once in a while I would engage, but I was just 
not, if somebody came up to me and said, hey Matt, you really need to be sharing your faith with other people. I would have thought, look, I'm getting here to church. That's about all I can do right now. Let me just say, if you're kind of in that spot, come. Come to Dr. Jesus this morning. Come to Dr. Jesus at the Eucharist. Come to Dr. Jesus and receive prayer. Really, this is a judgment-free zone. It doesn't matter what you're struggling with. Come to Dr. Jesus with your wounds. Ask Him to heal you. But let me just also say, you know, at some point, you begin to grow as a Christian, you begin to heal. Sometimes, at some point, it becomes a matter of obedience. Do I want to obey the Lord in this area of my life or not? Maybe, honestly, you look in your own heart and you say, okay, I'll obey the Lord with money, I'll obey the Lord even with, you know, sexuality, I'll obey the Lord with, like, social justice issues, but ah, I'm not going to obey the Lord with evangelism. Just not going to do it. I'm not open to it. I'm not going to pray that prayer. I'm just not open to it. Now, sometimes we get there. I was there. If you're there, let me just encourage you. Maybe you can pray honestly. Lord, I am not willing. I do not want to do this. I don't want to open the door to this. But Lord, I am willing to be made willing. That's one of my favorite prayers. And our God is gracious. He's merciful. He'll take that prayer. He'll take, I'm not willing, but I'm willing to be made willing. The second thing I encourage you to do is just start praying. Start praying. Lord, open my eyes. Help me to see the people that I'm not seeing, that are maybe in my life right now. Help me to love people the way you loved people. Help me to create a judgment-free zone in the Spirit of Jesus. Lord, help me to invite people, though, too. Give me the courage that maybe I'll even turn somebody off, maybe to get over my fear, to get over my, my cowardice, and to invite somebody to consider the claims of Christ. Let me tell you a story. It actually happened after the first service. It was an amazing story. So I'm sitting back there with four people, and two people who come to church regularly, Jack and Angie, okay, they're with two women that I, I didn't recognize. And so I said, oh, how did you get to the church? To this one woman. I'll call her name Julie. And Julie said, uh, well, Jack invited me. I said, really? How did Jack invite you to church? She said, we were at a baseball game. That's where it happened. I said, what, Jack, what did you say? And he said, well, let her tell the story, okay? Because I don't remember what I said, actually. And it was so organic to Jack, he couldn't really remember what he said. And she said, well, we were sitting there, it was my son's game, it was his grandson's game, we were sitting at this baseball game, and we just started talking. And he started asking questions about what it was like to live in Wheaton, and she said, well, I really like Wheaton, but it's, it's kind of weird, because a lot of my friends go to church, and I don't, and so I just feel, I just feel a little uncomfortable here sometimes. Now, she didn't know anything about Jack's spirituality or church or anything, and so it's like, that's what we call a softball. Boom, Okay. You can hit softballs, okay? And if you're praying, softballs are there. So she, um, they started talking and got going, and she said she's going through some difficult things in her life. And Jack said, well, can I just share with you my personal story? Because I've been through some of those things as well, and let me just share what happened, okay? So 
Then this woman started doing what she called church shopping. She was wondering if that was okay. I said, that is a thing. People do that. That's what they call it. So, um, but she's here. She said, I really, I love it here. So, you see how organic that was? See how natural that was? It's not a softball game. I don't think Jack went like, oh man, I'm going to share Christ with somebody at that softball game, you know? But just having a spirit of openness to the Lord and to people around him, it came naturally. I'll tell you one more story, then I'll stop, okay? So I was in the blinds aisle, the blinds aisle at a major retail outlet, okay? Looking to get some blinds. The guy comes up to me, he's got a name tag. His name tag is Blaise. B-L-A-I-S-E. It's over in Aurora. He's not here. He won't be listening to this. So I said, oh. So we started talking. He gave me some advice about blinds. Thank you very much. I said, Blaise, you got a really interesting name. I said, you know, have you ever heard of Blaise Pascal? He's like, yeah, I've heard of Blaise Pascal. Actually, I'm in engineering. And I read Blaise. I really like Blaise Pascal because he was a really brilliant mathematician. I said, well... Did you also know he was also a, a Christian and he was like really committed to his faith? He said, no, I didn't know that. I said, well, you know, what I like about him is he can integrate faith and his science, reason together. So we had a little chat about that for a few minutes. Not a big deal. And I left there thinking, man, I'm really a nerd. I'm talking about Blaise Pascal in the blind section of Home Depot. But secondly, I'm thinking, I didn't plan to do this. I didn't, I didn't have a plan like, oh, if you see somebody named Blaise, make sure you talk about Blaise Pascal, you know. But it just comes, this comes out of prayer as we're willing to be open, as we're willing to pray. And as you open your heart to the Lord this morning, may He lead you to share Jesus how Jesus shared Jesus. Amen.